Welcome to another installment of Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the channel that compares what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Now, have you ever heard anyone use the story of Isaac and Ishmael, or actually it should be Ishmael and Isaac, uh, that's the order that they were born, uh, and talk about how Ishmael represents trying to accomplish God's promises uh, using your own strength rather than trusting in God. Now, on one level, that's that's not exactly wrong, but that's not really the point of the story regarding Ishmael and Itzhak, Isaac. Yeah, th that's not really the point. So today we're going to head over to the Awakening House of Prayer. Um, Jennifer LeClaire holds, holds court there. You know, she's the uh, prophetess in residence and uh, apostolic prophetess in residence. And uh, we will uh, take a look at <laughs> a recent video of hers where she uh, uh, lets, lets everybody know that she may have inadvertently given birth to several Isaacs. <laughs> what is it with charismatics and birthing? So let me do this. I'm going to uh, whirl up the desktop and uh, let's head on over to the Awakening House of Prayer. And uh, here's Gen Jennifer LeClaire, a prophecy called, Your Isaac is Coming. <laughs> Sometimes I've, I ask myself, how did I get this job? Anyway, let's, keep, let's go. I was sitting before the Lord this morning and I was overcome by his goodness. The Lord encountered me with his goodness and his glory is his goodness. When he passed by Moses in the cleft of a rock, Moses said, let me see your glory. He said, I'll make my goodness pass before you. And I was thinking of all the times that I birthed an Ishmael. <laughs> of course, the question is, who, who was the daddy for all of these Ishmaels? What a ridiculously bizarre way to, to talk. I was thinking about all the times I birthed an Ishmael. What is this? Yeah, let, let me ba just back this up just a little bit. Moses said, let me see your glory. He said, I'll make my goodness pass before you. And I was thinking of all the times that I birthed an Ishmael. How many of you have ever birthed an Ishmael? What do I mean by that? You got in your flesh? You tried to make the will of God happen in your own strength. Anybody but me ever done that? We've all done that. And the Lord began to minister to me. And he began to lead me through the scriptures because when we think of Ishmael, we think of a bad mistake. We think of sorrow and grief and pain that the Ishmael caused. We think that Ishmael is cursed, that it set us back, that it hindered our destiny. We think, oh. So birthing an Ishmael hinders my destiny. I've never birthed anything, okay? I haven't even had a hernia. I mean, seriously, what on earth is this? So you're going to note she's completely hijacked the story of Ishmael. And, uh, and the best way to think of it is, is that the Bible explains what the real theological and doctrinal significance is of the story of Ishmael and Isaac. And it has nothing to do... <laughs> do with you birthing it did you have an epidural when you birthed these ishmaels how long were you in labor with each of them you know it's just so ridiculous so 
Before we listen to any more of this Looney Tunes, let, let's open up a Bible and see if we can make sense of what is going on in the story. So we'll start in the Old Testament, which I think is a good place to start. And uh, we're going we're gonna to sample a couple of the uh, segments as it relates in the book of Genesis to Sarah, Hagar, Ishmael, and then Isaac. And then we're going to look at the presenting issue within the time of the apostles that uh, then led the apostle Paul to give a Holy Spirit-inspired interpretation of the account of Hagar, Ishmael, and Sarah, and Isaac. So uh, let, let's do our groundwork first, shall we? So Sarai, uh, Abraham, Abram's wife, no, note in Genesis 16, they haven't had their names changed. Uh, she hasn't had her names changed to Sarah, and Abram is still Abram. He's not Abraham. So now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, Yahweh has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. So they're going to go with kind of the ancient world's version of surrogate parenting. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai which he shouldn't have done. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife, and he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May Yahweh judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. So then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. You'll note that uh, both Abraham and Sarah's sins um, really come shining through in the scripture. I mean, really. The, the, so the uh, the the founder of our faith, the you know, uh, you know, the the recipient of the Abrahamic covenant with God, um, he was uh, a sinner just like you and like me. And Sarah, she had some pretty serious faults. I would say uh, abusing her handmaiden is uh, definitely going to fall into the category of a sin. So the angel of the Lord, this is Jesus, found her by a spring of water in the wilderness and the, and the spring on the way to Shur. And he said to Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress Sarai. And the angel of Yahweh said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. Then the angel of Yahweh also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of Yahweh said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael. Ishmael means God hears, okay? Because Yahweh has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over and against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of Yahweh who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Ba'ir Lachai Roy. Okay, Be'ir Lahai Roy, which means, and just checking my notes on this one, the well of the living one who sees. That's a pretty 
big name. Uh, it lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Okay, next chapter, I think. Um, let's see here. Uh, so here in, uh, in uh, Genesis chapter 17, though, God reiterates his covenant with uh, Abram and promised Abraham he's going to have his son through Sarai. So God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah, which means princess, and, she, and uh, Sarah shall be her name, and I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, No, but Sarai, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Itzhak. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring and for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Itzhak, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year year. So you'll note um, there's a, God has an intention that is going on here that has to be fulfilled. And let's see here. Is it 20 or 21? Let's see. It might be 20. Nope, 21. Uh, Genesis chapter 21, then, uh, we have the birth of Isaac. Yahweh visited Sarah, as he said, and Yahweh did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son whom he was born to him, whom Sarah bore him. Itzhak, and Abraham circumcised his son Itzhak when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Itzhak was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Okay, and you're going to note... Throughout the Old Testament, you see a recurring theme of barren women, God opening their wombs. Some of these barren women being well advanced in years. You see that again with the conception of John the Baptist, uh, with uh, you know, with uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth in Luke chapter one, and then of course, I always like to point out that all of those barren wombs that God miraculously opens points us to the big one, and that's the womb of the Virgin Mary. Jesus was conceived conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary, not by a normal human conception between a man and a woman. So all of these, these, uh, these womb miracles point to the one uh, regarding the birth of Christ. Okay, now, and the child grew, was weaned. Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned, but Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had b born to Abraham, laughing. 
So she said to Abraham, cast out the slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. Now, the Apostle Paul is going to pick up these words, you'll see later in the study, he's going to pick up these words in the book of Galatians in order to make a very important theological point. And it's not about you trying to make God's promises uh, come true in the natural and you giving birth to Isaac's, uh, not Isaac's, but Ishmael's. This this is not what it's about, but pay attention to these words. So Sarah says, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Next big theological point that Paul's going to use. Through Isaac, your offspring shall be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning, took bread and a skin of water, gave it to Hagar, put it on her shoulder along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes, and then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bowshot, for she said, Let me not look at the death of, of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and she wept. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink and God was with the boy and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran. His mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Okay, so there's your uh, book of Genesis account of Isaac and Ishmael. Now the question is, what does it mean? All right. What's the story really about? And one of the things I am a firm believer in is is the concept that Scripture interprets Scripture. And although um, this isn't really about you know you birthing Ishmael's, that's not the point. Um, there isn't there there is a correct way to understand this, and we'll let the Holy Spirit instruct us through the Scriptures. So let's fast forward. We're going to fast forward all the way to the Book of Acts, and as Christianity gets up and running and is now spreading to multiple nations. It has gone into Samaria. It has been brought, the gospel has been brought to Gentiles, and it's now spreading like wildfire throughout the Roman Empire in the Mediterranean world. And um, it's at this time that there was a huge conflict in the church, and it had to do with how somebody is saved. Okay, and so in Acts chapter fifteen, we get the, uh, the, the a little bit of the backstory, if you would. Now, some men came down from Judea, and they were teaching the brothers, the Christians, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. They are teaching salvation by obedience, salvation by works. Okay. And Christianity 
biblical Christianity, there was no works when it comes to being saved. So unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate, that's a polite way of saying they got into a huge towering fight with these uh, Judaizers is what they would become become known as. Uh, there's no small dissension and debate with them. Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So be being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles who brought great joy to all the brothers. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, which is not a party you want to go to, okay, belonged to the party of the Pharisees, they rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. No, we are not required to keep the law of Moses. In fact, let me kind of throw this in at this point. Um, I Here we go. I'll go to Colossians 2. In Colossians chapter 2, okay, what is the Christian's um, relationship to the Mosaic Covenant? I would note something here. The Mosaic Covenant, and Christians are not under the Mosaic Covenant, we are not obligated to keep Torah, okay? We, in fact, Christ fulfilled the Torah for us. We are under the new covenant. We are not under the Mosaic covenant. The Mosaic covenant was only between God and the children of Israel. And I would note, nobody is under the Mosaic covenant today. Nobody, okay? Keep that in mind. So here's what Paul says in Colossians 2. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink. So Christians are not required to uh, make the distinction between clean and unclean foods. Uh, um, we're not re required to do that. Or with regard to a festival, and in this regard, think of Passover, think of uh, Yom Kippur, think of the Feast of Weeks, Shavuot. Uh, Christians are not required to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. No, those are, the, the, those are all part of the Mosaic Covenant. You and I aren't in the Mosaic Covenant. So in, in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, even the Sabbath is a, is a ceremonial law under the Mosaic Covenant. In fact, the Sabbath is the sign of the Mosaic Covenant. Then Paul says these, these are a shadow of the things to come. The substance belongs to Christ. You see, all those Mosaic Covenant feast days we're pointing to Jesus. So the Passover, it's pretty easy to sort that one out. Uh, Passover, Jesus is our Passover lamb who was slain to set us free from slavery, to sin, death, the devil. You, you get the idea, right? And so the Passover lamb, by the blood of the lamb, we are saved. Uh, Feast of Weeks is, uh, is it finds its fulfillment in the day of Pentecost with the kicking off of the harvest, right? The, the great harvest has already begun with the preaching of the gospel and it going out to nations people dying in the faith and being brought in to uh, the, uh, the, the barn of God, right? While the chaff is being burned up. Okay, so Feast of Weeks points to that. Yom Kippur, ah, yeah, yeah, that Yom Kippur thing, that points to what? The day that Christ is crucified on the cross for our sins. Jesus is our sacrifice. The, the writer of Hebrews makes it clear that the blood of goats and bulls never forgave sins, but we are saved by the once for all sacrifice 
done by Christ, by him bleeding and dying in your place on the cross. So uh, when it comes to circumcision, when it comes to Passover, when it comes to the Sabbath, Christians are not required to keep that. Now, what we'll do is we'll put a link uh, down below, and we'll, we'll maybe do a, you know one of those things where we put it you know uh, up here. Uh, I I did a long teaching here on this on the, our YouTube channel about the different covenants that I th if you want to do an in depth study regarding the covenants of the Bible and which one are Christians under, then that is a good follow up video to uh, watch after this one. So again, we'll put a link down below, and then I think we'll we'll do that thing of where it's over there. To you, you get the idea. So, um, all of that being said, let's then come back here. Acts 15. Christians aren't required to be circumcised. Nope. Circumcision, no, that doesn't mean anything, right? So, the apostles and the elders then were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up, stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel the good news that Christ died for their sins, uh, and to believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Uh, Simeon has, has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, after this I will return, I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen, I will rebuild its ruins, I will restore it, and the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. So there you go. Uh, the Judaizers, uh, they were basically put down pretty hard uh, there at the uh, Council of Jerusalem that's recorded in Acts chapter 15. Now, you'll note that Paul, despite all of that, really had to continue to valiantly defend salvation by grace through faith apart from works. Now, important to note, if you are truly a Christian, you will do good works. There's no such thing. This animal doesn't exist. There is no such thing as a Christian who doesn't do good works. Your good works do not justify you before God. They are not part of salvation. You are not saved by your works. You are saved unto good works. So all that being said, in Galatians, a very important book in the Bible, the Apostle Paul has to write a tersely uh, written letter to the churches in the region of Galatia who had come under the influence of the Judaizers. 
And here's where Paul goes. So here's what it says. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm astonished. Now, now, now the pleasantries are over. Paul's just going to come out swinging now. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ, and you are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another, uh, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached, let him be anathema. Damned. Okay, as we have said before, so I say again, if anyone is preaching you a, to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be anathema. Damned. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia. And I returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, and I remained with him for 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In that, I am uh, uh, what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment. Now note, so you'll, the Apostle Paul, if somebody today, one of the uh, the Judaizers, somebody in the Hebrew Roots Movement says, they, uh, boys must be circumcised. Really, why? Well, it's in the Bible. No kidding, okay? The Apostle Paul knows full well that circumcision is a requirement in the Bible for those under the Mosaic Covenant. Christians are not under the Mosaic Covenant, nor were they ever. 
Gentiles, especially Gentile Christians, were never under the Mosaic Covenant. We're not under the Mosaic Covenant. So simply saying, well, it's in the Bible. Well, you, you need to, you need to uh, observe the, uh, the feast days, the Passover, Shavuot. You need to observe Yom Kippur. Uh, yeah, it's in the Bible for sure. But that's part of the Mosaic Covenant. Those festivals, including the Sabbath, are shadow, type and shadow. The substance is found in Christ. Okay, so they didn't yield to the Judaizers even a, an inch. Nope, we did not yield to them in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved. The gospel was what's at was what was at stake, and it is today, by the way, still. From those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God knows, shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential see, uh, added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and... Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me. They gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and to me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to, to remember the poor, the very thing that I was eager to do. But when Cephas, this is Peter, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. Uh-oh, uh, Peter was eating bacon. Oh, no. But when they came, he drew back and he separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Again, this is not a party you want to go to. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Huh? <laughs> Whoops. He got caught, right? For we ourselves were Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified. Now, here's a big word. Justified. Dikaiao. It means to be declared not guilty. That's a good way to think of it. It's like a court term. So, you know, so you are declared not guilty. You are declared righteous by Christ, okay? Not by works. So we yet we know that a person is not declared righteous by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Did you catch that? No one is declared righteous before God by works of the law. No, not a single person, okay? We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified, not a single person. So, but if I endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners. And is Christ then a servant of sin? Well, certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, uh, who loved me and gave himself for me. 
So I do not nullify the grace of God. Notice what he says. I don't nullify the grace of He doesn't say I don't nullify the Mosaic Covenant. The Mosaic Covenant has already been nullified. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the Torah, then Christ died for no purpose. All right? Chapter 3. Now, believe me, this has everything to do with Isaac and Ishmael. Just, you have to be patient. Let, let, the, let the, uh, the, the recipe be stirred and put in the oven and start to bake properly. Uh, slow down and let those scriptures breathe and teach you. So Galatians 3. Oh, foolish Galatians who've fallen for the Judaizing heresy, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. So let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? It's the second one, by the way. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So know then, it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Let that one sink in. It is those of faith, that includes Gentiles, who are the sons of Abraham. If you are a believer in Christ, it doesn't matter if you are genetically Jewish. Mm -mm. It doesn't matter if there's even a drop of Jewish blood in you. You are a child of Abraham. You have the same faith as Abraham. Know then, it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. All who rely on works of the law are under a curse. Do you rely on the law to save you? You're under a curse, okay? For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and continue to do them. Now, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith, okay? But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. So Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Now to give a human example, brothers. And here's where we're going to start to steer in the direction of Ishmael and Isaac. To give a human examples, even with a man-made covenant, think contract here, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Once the ink is on the contract and it's signed, you can't change it. That's his point. Now, the promises, they were made to Abraham and to his offspring, spermati, singular, not plural. Uh, and it does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. So the offspring, the one. so Christ is the other recipient of the Abrahamic covenant. So this is what I mean. The law, the Torah, which came 430 years afterwards, 
does not annul a covenant that has been previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. And so you'll know, the, if you really want to understand how the Mosaic Covenant works, it's a land lease agreement, uh, God being the landlord, the Jews being the tenants. It's a land lease agreement uh, for, the, uh, for Israel for the, the, that, that property, right? And the Jews broke the covenant, you know, nine million ways since Thursday uh, and got an, and eventually exacted the, uh, the punishment clauses of the Mosaic covenant and kicked them out, okay? That's why they were kicked out. So as to make, so if they, so the, the Mosaic covenant, that's between, you know, Jews and God. And it's, it's not in effect anymore. Christ has fulfilled it. So the, the Torah, the Mosaic Covenant, it can't annul a covenant previously ratified by God, pointing to the Abrahamic Covenant. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. Okay? And this is where you start to see the big distinction. Inheritance. You don't receive an inheritance by the law. You receive it by a promise. God gave it to Abraham by a promise. So why then the law? Why was it added? It was added because of transgressions until, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place by angels, by an intermediary. Now an intermediator implies more than one, but God is one. So then is the law, is the Torah contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. Uh, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as of you as were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. There is there neither there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Second time he said this. If you are a Christian and you are in Christ, you are Abraham's offspring according to the promise. So, I mean that, as, that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is, he is the owner of everything, he, but he is under guardians and managers until the day set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if you are a son, then you are an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. This is talking about the feast days of the Mosaic Covenant. 
And Paul says, I'm afraid. I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I have also become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you. Oh, look at that. The Apostle Paul had a bodily ailment. Hmm. Okay. That's a different, that's a different video though, right? Uh, you know that it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that they may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Now that's all groundwork. Now here comes the Holy Spirit's interpretation of Hagar, Ishmael, Isaac, and Sarah. So tell me, you who desire to be under the Torah, do you not listen to the Torah? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Note the Apostle Paul takes Hagar, the slave woman, and says that this is talking about two covenants. And which covenant was cut with the children of Israel on Mount Sinai? The Mosaic Covenant. Okay. One is Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. <laughs> right? And when you understand, how does the Bible interpret the story of Hagar, Ishmael, Isaac, and Sarah? It's all about salvation by grace through faith, not by works. And you can see, Galatians goes a long way to obliterating all forms of Judaizing, right? Uh, the Mosaic covenant is kaput. It's no, no one is under that covenant. And we are under the new covenant, and we are children of the free woman, not the slave. So that's what the Bible means. That's why that story is in there. I know it took a long time to, you know, to get around to explaining it, but all of that being said, 
let, let me back this up now. Let me just back this up and see if any of this makes any sense to you. Moses said, let me see your glory. He said, I'll make my goodness pass before you. And I was thinking of all the times that I birthed an Ishmael. <laughs> when you know what the Bible says, you can see just how insane this is. How many of you have ever birthed an Ishmael? What do I mean by that? You got in your flesh? You tried to make the will of God happen in your own strength. Has anybody but me ever done that? We've all done that. And the Lord began to minister to me. And he began to lead me through the scriptures because when we think of Ishmael, we think of a bad mistake. We think of sorrow and grief and pain that Ishmael caused. No, I think of the woman who was the slave woman bearing children for slavery as the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, instructed me to think of her. You know, yeah, in the book of Galatians. We think that Ishmael is cursed, that it set us back, that it hindered our destiny. We think, oh God, I wish I hadn't birthed that Ishmael. But scripture says in Genesis 17 that God, that God blessed Ishmael. And maybe you got in your own strength. Maybe you stopped leaning on him. Maybe you sold the will of God and you were sold out on pursuing the will of God and somehow or another the enemy convinced you to try to make it work out in your own strength. And you I have no idea what this woman's talking about. No you clue. birthed that Ishmael. You birthed I didn't birth nothing. That business that failed because it was out of God's timing. The marriage that you <laughs> A failed business is not a <laughs> is not a birth Ishmael. Thought was from God. It fell apart because he really wasn't. She really wasn't the right one. Maybe, maybe that house you bought, it was just not the right house. God had a better yeah, buying a house is not birthing an Ishmael. Your house, but you just settled for what you thought was God's will. But God sent me to tell you today that I mm -mm. God did not send you, Jennifer. You have not been sent by God. You are not speaking his words. You doing what you're doing. You are in defiance of the clear commands of Scripture, and you are a false prophetess. God did not send you. The words you are speaking are not words that God gave you to speak. Isaac is coming. All right, let me back to up. In that house you bought, it was just not the right house. God had a better house, but you just settled for what you thought was God's will. But God sent me to tell you today that Isaac is coming. No, he's not. I am a child of the promise the same way Isaac is. That's what Galatians teaches. Come on. Isaac is coming. No, he's not. Jesus is. And you're gonna have to explain all this false doctrine and false prophecies to him. But he also wants you to remember. Isaac wants me to remember? That he can still bring a blessing out of the Ishmael experience. Oh, God wants me to know that he can still bring a blessing from the Ishmael. I've never had an Ishmael experience. He can take your mess and bring it into a miracle. Uh, scratching, itching ears much, Jennifer? Amen. Jesus. Jesus. Somebody give a praise. All right. I think you get the idea. So hopefully you found this helpful, and now you have a far better understanding. Why is that story of Isaac and Ishmael and Hagar and Sarah in the Bible? It all is to point us to salvation by grace through faith apart from works. All right. All the information on how you can share the video is down below in the description. And until next time, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.